You're listening to messages from Cuyahoga Valley Church in Broadview Heights, Ohio. If you're looking for more resources or want to get in touch, please head to our website at www.cvconline.org. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your day and help you experience new life in Christ. So years ago, when I was living in California, I found myself working for an insecure leader. And all of a sudden, this person, as they came into their new role, started becoming very divisive and also uh, very dishonest and felt threatened by others uh, who were doing a good job. And next thing I know, I found myself uh, being the target, kind of, in the work environment of uh, this insecurity. And he started spreading falsehoods about me to my coworkers. He starved me of affirmation. He uh, became oppositional and made unreasonable um, requests of me and my role. And uh, over time, that really started having an effect on me. And I would like to say that, you know, I responded in a godly way and fasted and prayed and everything was amazing. But in reality, what started happening is my heart started getting hard. And my performance and my attitude started slipping. And I started finding myself kind of consumed with wanting to chase down all the falsehoods and put out those little fires and all of these things. And, and really the joy of what I was doing was diminishing. And I had a Christian coworker who saw all this playing out. And she approached me and basically encouraged me, you know what you need to do? You need to keep your eyes on Christ, not this individual. You need to make sure that you're, you're serving Jesus first and just stay the course. And, and that was a great reminder. And so I recalibrated really my heart and my focus on Christ and just being faithful to Jesus in my work environment. And my heart started to change. My heart became softer. I started becoming less preoccupied with whatever someone was saying about me that wasn't true. I'm like, you know what? Time and um, trials reveal character. I don't need to chase that down. I'll just be faithful and see what God does. And eventually, that person was actually let go of their position, and that wasn't the big lesson for me. The big lesson for me was when I refocused on Christ, it changed my work attitude, my work environment, and even my work morale. And I think that's something that we need to be thinking about in our lives. As believers, when we prioritize Christ, it changes our work relationships, as a Christian, think about how that may have been true for you in your life. Uh, when were you in a, in a situation at work where it was challenging and you did not prioritize Christ? What did you experience? How did that go for you, right? Or the flip side, what happens when you've been in a work environment and you did prioritize Christ? What did you experience then? And how did that go for you? You know, we're in this series called War and Peace, and what we've been looking at is uh, going through this book of Ephesians, and we've been looking at what we're seeing in chapters 5 and 6. And man, it's like war and peace. There's areas where we're experiencing conflict. It feels like war sometimes in our relationships, our, specifically our marriages and our parenting and the work environment, where if we're following Christ and applying the gospel, and by the way, when I, when I say the gospel, it's the understanding that Jesus lived the life that we could never live, right? He died the death that we should have died, and he rose again to give us new life here on earth and an eternity of enjoying him forever. That's the gospel, or simply put, the, the personal work of Jesus Christ. And so when we apply the gospel, 
to our relationships, instead of war, a lot of times we will experience peace. And even if it doesn't change our situation, we can experience more peace in the midst of the war. Yet at the same time, and we're going to talk about this in the next couple weeks, sometimes we walk around thinking we're at peace, but the reality is we're at war. There is a spiritual war happening. There's a real devil. There's real adversity spiritually, but we're just oblivious or we just choose not to engage. So we've been going through the series War and Peace, and, and as we've been looking at these relationships that are impacted by applying the gospel, or applying what we saw uh, weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, that God has called us through the power of the Holy Spirit to mutually submit to one another out of Christ. When we do that, it changes those relationships. So, so why is it important to think about that in the work context? And I don't know if you've thought about this before, but outside of your home, you will spend more time in your work environment than anywhere else. Outside of your family members, you'll spend more time with the people at work than anybody else. So it's no wonder that God wants you to apply the gospel in a transformational way where you work as an employer, as a supervisor, or as an employee. And some of you might have some creative context, but you just have to apply what we're talking about here. And so when we prioritize Christ, it just will change those working relationships. Now, when I say prioritizing Christ, I want to clarify what I mean. I mean that we are intentionally seeing and serving Jesus first in our work environments. That Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is ultimate. That's what we're looking for. And so we're going to dive back into the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 6, so open up your Bibles or fire up your Bible apps to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to look at what God has for us in this mutual submission to Christ and the gospel being applied and our uh, surrendering to Christ, what that looks like in a working context. And so join me in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verses five, uh, verse 5 and go through verse 9. Here's what we see. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Verse 9, Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Fathers, we open up your word this morning. God, we come with a need, a need to be more like Christ, a need to apply the teachings of Christ, the need to surrender to the Holy Spirit's leading uh, so that we can represent Christ well. And Father, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks of what that can look like in our marriages and in our parent-child relationships today, Lord, you turn our hearts toward the labor environment where we serve over or serve under others. So Father, we lay bare to you right now our hearts. God, we want you to transform us, make us more like Jesus. We don't just want empty information to acquire. We really want a transformational experience with you and your word so that we can walk out of here representing Jesus better and being more like Christ in this world that so desperately needs to know about God's love and God's salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So teach us today under the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. All of us said together, amen. 
The first thing we have to do in reading this text is we have to deal with some cringe words, slaves and masters. And uh, the word slaves here in the Greek is the word doulos. It basically means what we see, a slave, a servant, or sometimes translated a bond servant. Now that opens up this whole can of worms on the topic of slavery. Does the Bible endorse slavery? Of course, the answer is no. The problem is this text is not about slavery. Uh, this, the, we don't have time for the deep dive into that. This text is about when Christ comes into your life, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, how do you apply the gospel? How do you apply your followership of Jesus into your consequence or your circumstance in the moment? And so uh, we know that, that God is not uh, for slavery. We see in Exodus 21.16, he makes it very clear. He says, whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death, all right? So if there's any question about where God <laughs> lands on this topic, it's, it's pretty clear. And again, there's a deeper dive we can do that we don't have time for it. But we need to look a little more closely at what is being taught, the transformational nature of Christ in all of our relationships, including the master-servant relationship that the recipients of this original letter would have found themselves in. Here's the first century church, the earliest Christians. They live under the rule of the Roman Empire in the first century. And, and as Christ is coming into the hearts and lives of people, everything is getting shaken up and turned upside down. Relationships are being transformed out of their cultural, political, economical context, including the master-servant relationship, which was a huge economical you know, uh, pillar in ancient culture. And so we believe, uh, and, and historians reveal, that there were millions of people living as servants during this time, and they were coming to faith in Jesus. Now, unfortunately, texts like this and other texts have been misused by people to try to support the view of slavery or to support the abusive nature when those were in, people were in slavery. Not that different than people could have taken and misused the previous text when we're told by God uh, about our roles as men and women and husbands and wives and as parents and children. So in the same way that a parent can say, well, the Bible says you're to obey me and then use that as an abusive you know, mechanism to try to dominate over their children or to take the passage that says that wives are to submit to their husbands and use that as a dominating you know, text that you, you, know, you need to listen to me and submit to me. This passage has been done so in the area of slavery. But that's, again, not the context that we see. When we tap a little bit deeper onto slavery that existed in the Roman Empire in the first century, uh, we know this. It is more likely often seen as an indentured servitude. It was not race-based, and it usually was temporary. So this is how it typically played out. You might have been a slave if you were a prisoner of war and captured and taken back to work for those who... Um, Took, took your land and, and, and uh, defeated you in battle. You might be a slave if you accumulated debt that you can't pay off. They didn't file for bankruptcy in Rome. So if you borrowed money and you couldn't pay it back, guess what you became? Slave. Until you worked off your debt or your loved ones became slaves until you worked off your debt. You might have been a slave because of a crime you committed and was part of your punishment. Or a lot of times people would voluntarily offer themselves to be a servant because they lived on the streets, they lived in poverty, and they're going, 
you know what? Being a servant in this person's house would give me a roof, food, clothes, education, responsibilities that I will never get in this state of poverty. And so they would come under someone else's mastery, if you will, to have a better life. And not all slaves were uh, house servants or uh, land laborers. Some were doctors, civil servants, educators, administrators, landowners, business owners. And the slave owner experience really depended on the owner. And so there were those who experienced cruel, oppressive conditions and treatment. And there were others who just felt like they were a member of the family. And there were deep bonds of loyalty and affection between um, master and servant. So as the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing this, he's not trying to overthrow a social structure of a worldwide empire. He is introducing the supernatural power of the gospel and the life transformation and how it starts to work its way in to social structures. Because if you studied slavery and the gospel, you will see that when people started living for Christ, for the gospel, eventually slavery was abolished because gospel people uh, can't have it. It's, it's incompatible with the gospel. It just eroded over time from the inside, rather demolished from the outside. And the dynamic that was happening here in the church was very interesting because all of a sudden you had people coming to faith in Christ and some were masters with servants or some were servants with masters, sometimes attending the same church gathering. And so think about the dynamics for a second. Uh, Maybe during the week, during the day, uh, on the social and economical ladder, I was a servant with this master. But then later when we gathered I might have been an elder or a teacher in the church where my master is sitting under my teaching. And so do you see how like there's all these dynamics and they're going like, how do we do this thing? We've never been here before. And so God is instructing through Paul on these dynamics. And so obviously the context is different for us, but what we can do is appropriately apply what we see here in this text to our work environment and to our work relationships. Whether uh, if you're a young person that doesn't have a job yet, uh, your future work environment, uh, if you're retired, you're currently unemployed, you know, God's going to have to lead you and guide you through whatever context you need to uh, manage today. But our point is this, prioritizing Christ changes our work relationships. I want to focus on three areas. First, seeing and serving Jesus first will change our work motive. Like the motive behind why we work, how we work, and how we see ourselves at work. So if you go back to this text, look look at the language we see in verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service or as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And so we see here what's happening is there's a, there's a flip of the script that now in my work environment as an employer or an employee, my number one responsibility is to see Jesus first, not my employees, not my employers. Um, I'm going to use a couple people to illustrate that. So uh, Rick Bowler, I'm picking you out. Come on up here, please. And Stacy Brandt, if you can come on up here. They had no idea I was about to do this to them. This is where I get to have some fun up here uh, on Sundays. You guys don't have to say anything. So... Uh, you're in good hands. So thanks for being a good sport. So, so here's Rick. Rick now is my boss. Let's say Rick is my boss, okay? So I've got Rick here. I work for Rick. He's my employer. He's my supervisor. Uh, Stacy's coming up here. Stacy, you are Jesus, all right? So 
Tall bar. Yeah. Good luck with that, all right? So Stacy represents Jesus, and I've got Rick here. So here's the deal. If I'm in a working relationship, typically what we do is, as I'm working, I see Rick. I see how he treats me. I see how he doesn't treat me. I see his attitude toward me. I see all these things. I hope you're a good boss. Please be a good boss, okay? And so th- this is where I go. But what happens is when I clock out, man, I am done with Rick. But I've got Jesus over here, and we get to hang out and do everything. And then, oh, back to Monday. Now, now, I've got to, now, now see, see, when you study Scripture, there is no compartmentalization of the sacred and the secular. Like my spiritual life and my relationship with God is fused together as one with my work environment. We've tried to become masters of compartmentalization, but that's not it. So, so, so what we typically do is we approach, we see them and like, oh, Jesus is over there. He's going to try to help me. What this passage is talking about is flipping this. So I want you guys to trade places, right? So trade places. Now, the way we're to engage our work environments and our work relationships is that we see Jesus first. And the way I serve my employer, the way I serve my supervisor, the way I serve my boss is as if I'm serving Christ. And in reality, what that scripture is teaching is, this is my first priority. That I am doing my job, I'm interacting with my job, my motive at work is to serve Christ not my boss. And here's the beautiful thing. If we're doing that well, well, if we're doing that well, what happened is guess who our boss or our coworkers will see as we're trying to follow Christ? Guess who they get to see first maybe? They get to see Christ. There's a little bit of a flip of the script. So thank you guys for being a good sport. Give them a hand. They're awesome. Thank you guys. And so this is what it means when it says things like as unto Christ as servants of Christ, doing the will of God. In our work environments, Jesus is really our boss. And as as employers and as supervisors, there's language there that we'll get into that talks about how that transforms our leadership and our roles as well. It changes our motives. And here's the beautiful thing. Look at verse 7. When you go back to verse 7, God says to Paul here, or actually verse 8, saying that knowing that whatever good anyone does This he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a slave or free. So God's saying, like, if you do this, be prepared that somehow, some way, God is going to reward you. What this passage teaches is that God will reward. What it doesn't share is how he will reward. We really have no idea what this means. Is it heaven? Is it rewards in heaven? Is it favor with people? Is it greater influence in our work environments? Is it better character? (laughs) Is it more endurance? We don't know what that looks like, but here's what we do know. Serving God and serving Christ will be honored and somehow paid back by the Lord. How many of you know that the compensation you get from God will far surpass anything your boss could ever give you? Ever. And as I've thought about that, I thought, what, what would be the greatest joy of our heart? When you think about your employers, your coworkers, when you think about the people that work for you, like what would be the greatest reward? I believe the greatest reward in our work environments is that we get the joy of seeing and maybe even get to play a part in the salvation of a coworker, the salvation of a boss, the salvation of an employee, that that person is transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light transferred from an eternity in hell to eternity in heaven. 
that their broken relationship with God is repaired and restored and they're forgiven. That, that's the greatest gift we could ever get. That's the biggest paycheck we could ever receive is to see God transform the life of someone we work with. Because in the flesh, like if we're going to be honest, in the flesh, we're kind of like, I do not want to share heaven with that one person. Like if my boss is going to be in heaven, if that coworker is going to be in heaven, I don't think it's going to be heaven, you know? Jesus changes that. He transforms that. As I was thinking about this, God reminded me just this morning, I had to go looking for this because of, of, we were in prayer this morning before the service and this came to my mind of a woman who was a CVCer that, that spoke about this transformation in her life. Uh, her name is Kathy Yates. Now she went to be with the Lord just over a year ago. And um, so she has major health issues and and she's no longer suffering one of those health issues. She is truly with her Savior. And this picture is from her baptism. She's in the blue there. Uh, this was a piece of the testimony she shared. She said, let me begin by introducing Kathleen. At least that was the name I used to go by. My career was everything to me. I was very aggressive. I was a driven professional. I had the pedigree with an MBA and the power with a large staff reporting to me to prove it. But I was not a nice person. I was very demanding. I expected perfection all the time. I was obsessed with getting ahead at work, getting promotions and more money and more power. But it's hard to get promoted when people don't want to work with you because you're mean. God showed me mercy by putting me with a manager who showed mercy to me. At about the same time, I joined a life group at CVC. This was the first time in my life that I really started to read and study God's word. I realized that the corporate ladder did not reach heaven. Only Jesus could get me there. It was through this life group that I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Because of the new life in Christ I was experiencing, when I returned back to work, I asked everyone to call me Kathy instead of Kathleen. Because only my family and friends called me Kathy. The name change was a way to show that Jesus was making me into a new me, someone more real and less of a perfectionist. I have found tremendous joy and peace in serving Christ. See that? Christ became her, her, her priority. And that old, driven, unmerciful self never experienced this. God has shown me great mercy, and I've enjoyed learning how to show mercy to others. What a change. I'm so grateful for my new life in Christ. To God be all the glory. See, that's a picture of the greatest reward we could ever receive. But to have that desire, to have that trajectory in our heart, our motive has to change as we surrender to Christ and learn how to come under authority, even if the people in authority don't deserve it. And that kind of lends to the, the second way that we see Jesus transform our work environments and work relationships when we submit them to him. It also changes our work attitude. Like when you go back to this language that we see in this text, it says slaves obey earthen masters with fear and trembling. That's a respect for authority, right? Not, not, not fear. It's not fear like we're terrorized. We have a healthy understanding of authority and what it means when we disobey authority and the consequences, okay? With a sincere heart, like we're not faking it. We're not honoring authority just because, oh, we're supposed to or we're going to kind of fake it. Like, we learn to sincerely do this. That's, that's an attitude change. And, and not by the way of eye service or as people pleasers. Meaning this, that we long to have a heart change in work that's authentic. 
not just because we think our boss will like what we say, and we think our boss will like what we do, and so we kind of, you know, we can fake it and create this, this profile of this person who, in public and in front of the boss, we're the, you know, example employee or we're the amazing employer, but then in secret, <laughs> our mouth says something completely different. And we're just throwing our coworkers and our bosses and our employees under the bus and we're just shredding them up and, and, and our true self comes out. No, this is, this is an actual heart transformation that Jesus is talking about when he comes into our life. And he's instructing us through this with Paul right now, that, this is, that we would do the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will. It's an attitude change. This is something that happens when we yield to Christ, which means that our obedience at work and our attitude at work isn't determined or dependent on the attitude of those we work with. It's not determined by that. It's determined by our attitude toward Christ and how we want him to receive our attitude. And so this is important. And of course, we see here, from God through Paul that the boss is far from off the hook, right? Like the boss who forgets that he is second in command is forgetting that one day they will give an account to the Lord. Look again, look again at verse nine. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no partiality. God doesn't have two lines of people that he deals with. Oh, you're, you're a leader? Oh, you're in this line. Oh, you're a, a person that serves under leadership? Oh, you're in this line. So there's no partiality. Uh, think about it this way. Let's say you're a supervisor and you're in the work environment and there's someone you work with who's just not doing a good job and they're underperforming, which, you know, there's a place to confront that, of course. But, but you're about to just come uncorked on this person. Like, you're just fed up. You're about to just let them have it finally with how terrible that they've been as a coworker, as an employee. And just as you're about to talk them, you know, talk down to them, one of your coworkers comes up and goes like, hey, did you meet the, the boss's daughter? The one, the one over there? And you're like, that's the person I'm about to come off on, right? Like, would that change how you interact with that person if you realize it was the boss's daughter? Yes, it would. Well, that's what God's saying. He's like, <laughs> the people you work with, don't forget, they belong to the Lord the boss's child. Your boss is the boss's child. Your coworkers, your employees are the boss's children. And that changes everything. And if you're a leader, it means don't forget that you're not really first in charge, you're second. And God doesn't hold partiality. He's going to hold us accountable for how we treat others under our leadership. And so this is, this is a genuine humble, heartfelt attitude change that's infused by the gospel, that's, that's a fruit of surrendering and submitting to each other in Christ. And if we prioritize Christ in our work environments, it's going to change our motive, it's going to change our attitude, and thirdly and lastly, it's going to change our work behavior, like how we actually do our job. Go back to the language that we see here. You see, I'm just kind of going over and over and over this, but emphasizing the language. Slaves, obey. We're, we're going to be more obedient. That's what we do. With fear and trembling, a sincere heart, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. 
rendering a service, right? Rendering service with a good will, meaning we don't sit on the bench and go like, well, this place stinks, these coworkers stink, this leader stinks, so I'm done. I'm just going to sit on the bench. And No, we're to render good work. Like Christians should be known for the quality of not just their character and their attitude, but of actually what we produce, that we're not the slackers, that we're not the people that is the eye pleasers or, or for people pleasing. We, we look like we're doing a good job while the boss is watching, but then when the boss is gone, we do what we want. Like that could never be more true than in the smart device era, right? Because if you're not careful, a person can accumulate over the course of a year an entire paycheck or two of personal scrolling time on social media when the boss isn't watching. And you realize like they're not paying you to do your personal business on their time. But if we let this slip in our heart, then, then our work ethic shifts and changes. We feel justified because they're this or they're that or they're not doing this or they're not doing that. And we forget that we're accountable to Christ as a servant or as a leader. And all of a sudden, we're stealing from the people we work with. And we're ripping them off, but we don't have a problem with it. And that's dishonoring to God. So, so no, our work behavior, our actual uh, work ethic is revolutionized by Christ as we prioritize him. We don't just have the appearance of good work. We are people of good work. Can you be trusted to do your best work even when no one's watching you? That's what we're talking about here. And so Christ calls us to be, Christ empowers us to be people of integrity people who know how to put in a full day's work, whether somebody's watching this or not, because we want people to see our work ethic and somehow it glorifies Christ. Somehow it honors God, not just the people we work with. And so think about this, these questions that we can ask ourselves. Is my work ethic superior? Do I give the extra effort? Am I collecting pay just to do my own personal thing or to be a complainer in the work environment? Have I stolen time and money away from my employer? Am I just doing the bare minimum or do I work hard with excellence? Do I do more than what's asked of me? Uh, do I think that certain jobs are beneath me, right? Would Jesus be proud of how I do my work? Because we know if every job was done as to the Lord, it would make a quality difference in what we do in the work environment. And so uh, I think the same is something we need to think about as employers and supervisors. Uh, the way you conduct your leadership, the way you behave as a leader, do you treat the people uh, that serve under your leadership with fairness and dignity and with respect? Do you actually care for their well-being or is it just about their performance? As long as you produce, we're good. Versus like, how are you? You seem off today. How's things going with your family? Like, like are we known? Is our Christ-likeness known as leaders? Um, I think even for private business owners, like how does this apply to you? As a private business owner, do you return calls? <laughs> do you do what you said you would do for the price you said you would do it? Uh, would those who hired you for the service confidently and enthusiastically refer you? Right? We, we live in the era of the weight of the consumer review, Right? And I don't know about you, but like, if I'm going to try a place out, I'm, I'm going to these apps and I'm going to the reviews to see what people have to say. Like if people were to say about you, um, 
if they were to kind of put a lens over, like, does this person glorify God, prioritize Christ in the way they work with their attitude, their hands, their motive? Like, how many stars would you get, right? And so we have to process this. We want to process this because we want to glorify Christ. Our work ethic is an expression of our faith in Christ and our commitment to Christ. How we conduct ourselves in the work environment is one of the ways that we practice Matthew 5.16, what Jesus said. He said in Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your what? See your what? Good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Pats on the back from the boss, encouragement, affirmation, that's all good. That's encouraging. But ultimately, we want our work ethic, our work conduct to reflect a love for Christ, to, to, to make Jesus and his people look good because we love the Lord and we don't want to discredit him in this world. So as a teacher, are you prioritizing Christ by how you teach your students, what you teach your students? As students, are you prioritizing Christ by how you show respect for your teachers, whether they deserve it or not, and by doing your work and um, completing your assignments? If you work in the restaurant business or retail, uh, are you prioritizing Christ by how you interact with your customers? As public servants, police, firefighters, EMTs, um, are you seeing and serving Jesus first in such a way that when you meet people in that place of emergency or crisis, they can, they can sense it, see it, hear it? Homemaker, how is Christ being glorified and honored as you leverage your home and your resources and your hospitality for the sake of the gospel to best glorify God? Medical professionals, tradesmen, financial advisors, business owners, does your work motive Work attitude and work behavior send a message that you see and serve Jesus first in all that you do. If we prioritize Christ, it will change our work relationships. It has the power to change our work environments. So the emphasis of this passage of Scripture is that Christ empowers us through His Holy Spirit to be the best representation of Christ possible in whatever circumstances we're in, and specifically in our work environment. Again, the people that we're going to spend the most time with outside of our families. The environment that we're going to spend the most time with outside of our homes. Is Jesus showing up there for us? Prioritizing Christ transforms our work relationships. What do I want you to do with this? Uh, My first encouragement is to submit to God's teaching in this area. Uh, We are people that like to justify and rationalize. Well, I don't need to follow God's teaching because if if God only knew, (laughs) look at our Savior who submitted himself to the cross and plead your case, please, about how hard it is for us in our environments. What he did for us. How does that even compare to what we struggle through? We suffer. We're treated unfairly. It doesn't minimize the fact that that happens, but it changes how we deal with it. And so submit to to God on this. Bring ourselves into alignment with what he says. Trust the Holy Spirit to guide you and just look to Christ first. See and serve him 
first. That's the first thing I encourage you to do, submit. The second is more practical. Um, I encourage you to memorize and utilize Ephesians 6, 7. I want to look at it again together. Memorizing the Bible is so powerful in our lives. In Ephesians 6, 7, it says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Would you say that with me? Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Let's do it fill in the blank style. Rendering service. with a as to and not to. How would your work look different if every day you prayed that? You quoted that. <laughs> or throughout the day, you, you went to that in those tough moments. I think these things would change us if we submit and practice this. I want to share with you a text I got just about an hour ago from a friend uh, that, that, that was in this message. And he said, I just want to say, I thank God for your teaching today. I've been struggling the last two years at work and have let my disappointment and anger towards new people above me come out more and I voice my displeasure in front of others. Today, I believe God was speaking to me through you and saying, remember me, time to refocus. See them as I see them. I have given you this mission field to harvest. What are you doing? This seems so easy for us to separate areas of our lives from God because we think we can do better. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to let the gospel, we have to let Christ transform every area of our life, every relationship of our life, and that includes our work environments. Now some of you are thinking, but I'm retired, <laughs> or I'm unemployed, between jobs, uh, don't have a job yet. Like, what do I do with this? Well, God's gonna, God gave it to you for a reason. He'll tell you. <laughs> the other is, you probably have people in your life that need this encouragement. So just like my friend encouraged me years ago, you can take it to your friends, your family, the people in your life group, and just encourage them with it as well. But submit to it, memorize this passage, and be dedicated to live this out. A couple other response options. If um, this has sparked a bigger conversation that you need to have, uh, you're like, man, I need prayer in this area. Uh, I need some encouragement area in this area. Uh, please text us the word connect to our response number and we'll put you in touch with someone you can talk with and maybe pray for you or just give you some counsel, biblical counsel in this area. Uh, you can also see some of us in the foyer. We've got yellow lanyards or just you know, pull one of the pastors aside and say, I think I need prayer in this area because this really hit a nerve. Second, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, like this gospel we're talking about, you haven't believed or yielded to that yet. The transformation that Kathy spoke of, you, you haven't experienced that yet. We would love to tell you about how to have a relationship with Christ. Also text the word connect to that number if you want to find out more about that or you're ready to make a, a decision to follow Christ. Or again, just get, get with us in the foyer. If you're online, you can text that number. Uh, the rest of you, just see us in the foyer, text the number. We'd love to introduce you to Christ. With that, I just want to take what we've talked about and move into prayer with you. Let's just pray. Let's talk to God about this, uh, not just about what God has to say about it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for work. Uh, from the very day of creation, when you made men and women, you put them in a garden to tend the garden. You hardwired us with ability to work and really a joy that we can get from work. Father, forgive us. Then we try to find our value and self-worth in our jobs. That's not the way you wired it. Uh, forgive us when we mistreat those we work with, work for, uh, work over. God, help us to bring into alignment uh, what you want us to, to get out of today. Father, we know that the fall 
has introduced sin and evil inclinations into our heart. Some of us are already rejecting or struggling with what you said in your word here. God, help us to surrender, just to yield, just to submit to you, Jesus, in this area. In fact, I just want to lead you for a couple minutes in prayer just to talk to God where you're sitting in your own heart about this issue. First, would you just say thank you to God? Like he showed you something today. Would you just say thank you, God, for showing me? Just fill in the blank, all right? Just take a minute and talk to the Lord. God, thank you for showing me this. Just take a minute and do that. Inevitably, when we open up God's word, there's correction and conviction. We continue to struggle to be more like Christ. Just take a moment and confess. Lord, you know I failed in this area in this way. Whatever that looks like, would you just confess to the Lord, God, forgive me for failing in this area. Just, just, just take a moment and just confess to the Lord. For us to move out of here and to apply what we've heard, we can't do it on our own human strength. We need the Holy Spirit's power. We need to abide in Christ. We need to depend on the Lord. So whatever conviction, correction, action step he's giving you, would you just take a minute and ask him for help? God, help me to do this. God, I need you to show me how. Would you just take a moment to ask him for help in this area right now? Thanks for listening, friends. If you want to talk about anything that you've heard today, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find contact information and current teaching series on our website at www.cvconline.org.